for this morning. Okay, we're going to pursue a theme, and you'll see it here on the screen. We've sung through it some today, but it's the idea of walking with God. So Genesis 5 is where we're going to be. Like I said, we're going to go back in some ancient words here, uh, close to uh, the beginning, and we'll find some, hopefully, some helpful words here today as we consider what it means to walk with God. But before we begin, we always like to talk a little bit, okay? So I want you to talk with me. Feel free to interact here today um, if you have something you'd like to share, okay? A couple different times we'll ask for help. So help me out. Would you say that running and walking have equal value to your health? How many would say it's equal, running and walking? I see one hand. I see a hesitant second hand, okay? <laughs> okay, how many would say, no, they're not the same? Running and walking do not have the same health benefit, okay? So who says running has more of a benefit, okay? Who says walking has more of a benefit, okay? All right, good. How many of you think that running is not as good of a way to lose weight as walking? So walking's a better way to lose weight than running. Who would say walking's a better way to lose weight? Anybody? Okay, so what's this got to do with Jesus, right? We'll get there here in a little bit, but we want to introduce this whole idea of walking. What we're trying to say initially is that ultimately walking is good for you. So there is a, there's a journal that I subscribe to no, I don't. I can't even pronounce it. But here's this journal, okay? It's Arteriosclerosis, Thrombosis, and Vascular Biology. You guys understand that fully, right? Just as I know some of you in the room have clarity there, I certainly don't. <laughs> Did you get all that? Yeah, you want me to say it again? <laughs> Let's just go on, huh? All right, so here's what this article said. It says, regular walkers turned out to be healthier than those who run. Regular walkers, so not just strolling around the park, but people who are doing a brisk pace when they walk tend to be healthier than people who are, are running. Here's what it said. Risk for hypertension, high cholesterol, diabetes, and heart disease all drop more significantly among walkers than runners. So there tends to be a more benefit to your health for those who are steady at it with walking than those who are running. So there's a guy, James O'Keefe, 58 years old, he was known as an exercise enthusiast. He's from Kansas City, Missouri. Let me give you his title here. Uh, well, he's, from, he's a cardiologist from St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute in Kansas City, Missouri. And he said he spent about three decades of his life training hard. So he would exercise two to three hours every day and wouldn't miss a day. I mean, just really putting his body through it. Rigorous running, weight training, all sorts of, uh, of cardio with the biking and swimming and, and things of that nature. And he said for him, all of a sudden, there was something that changed. And what changed for him is when he did some research on his own body. And so here's what he found. Here's some fruit of his research. He says, if your goal is to exercise for overall health and to improve the longevity of your life, then walking is ideal. And so here's some of the results. He said... People who run most days of the week at a pace faster than seven miles an hour have the same risk of death as sedentary individuals. So that's about an eight and a half minute pace. So people who run that regularly have really no health advantage for longevity of life as people who do no movement whatsoever. All right? One he found. Another study he found was those who run more than 25 miles a week have no mortality benefit compared with non-runners. 
So if you're running, I know all of you are runners, um, but if you're running 25, 30, 40 miles a week, some people do that, it doesn't make your life longer. Matter of fact, it makes your life shorter. And what he found out was the more stress you put on the heart without rest, the more it tears, and the more it tears, it begins to stiffen, and you can also get scarring of your heart. And so people tend to live shorter lives who are more, what we might say, uh, health conscious or those who feel like you really have to be pushing hard every day. You've got to allow your body to rest is what he would tell you. Another study he found was this, or another thing he found from his study, um, those who walk at a brisk pace for one to two and a half hours a week, those people lowered their risk of death by 25%. So where does it sound like the advantage is from his research? Walking, right? Walking. Now walking at a brisk pace but not stressing your body and now he would go on to say that things like training for races, sports, those are fine. But if this is going to be a way of life for you, you need to prepare to have a shortened lifespan. Here's one other thing that he found out. And he did a study just on women. But he asked them to, he had half a group who just ran. And they, uh, or they walked, rather they walked for five days a week, 45 minutes a day. But they didn't change their diet. At the end of a year, they had lost about 2% of their body weight. So that was half. Walked five times a day, five times a week, 45 minutes a day. Then he asked the other group to do the same thing but change their diet. And that group lost almost 12% of their body weight. Okay? So some will say, oh, you gotta, if you want to lose a lot of weight, you've got to run. Or if you want to lose weight, you've got to do all this exercising. When really, if we want to lose weight, we need to do what? All right, changing our diet. I mean, partner that with exercise, but uh, it's definitely in what we take in that's helping produce the kind of per uh, person that we're becoming. So I thought those were just some interesting things. You know, we're connected with running. We run some, but uh, just trying to understand how God's made the body and how we can stress it to a point where we think we're doing what's better for it when really we're causing things that may be detrimental to our health. And so what's a better alternative? Maybe walking is a better alternative. And so all I'm really trying to get to is it's healthy to walk physically, and it's also healthy for you and I to walk spiritually. And what we're going to talk here today is walking with God and what that looks like from a guy named Enoch. You got to remember Enoch? Remember Enoch? Genesis chapter 5. So there's a list in Genesis 5. So Genesis 4 ends with people turning to God. And this is kind of the first time people turn to God and pray. Okay, it's like the last verse of chapter 4. Chapter 5 begins with this... Um, just degrees of people, kind of this genealogy. So we're going to go through nine people from the first verse to the last verse in Genesis 5. For us, we're going to be kind of in the heart of that. But right in the, in the middle of that, you'll find a guy named Enoch. All right? Uh, so let's look at this here uh, as we consider what it means to walk with God and how we can do that in a way that's healthy for us spiritually. So Jared, when Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years and then he died. Anybody want to live that long? No? You're going to live forever, so you better get used to it. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Okay? And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And so Enoch is one of these guys 
the Bible talks about he was translated. And so he moved from, from the temporary to the eternal without passing through the doorway of death. All right? Now some speculate that Enoch and Elijah will be kind of the two witnesses at the end that Revelation talks about, the two that haven't passed through death, who will ultimately die and then three days later be resurrected because they've not died yet. That's just total speculation, right? And so we're not going to pound that as this is what the Bible teaches. Could be. Maybe it's not at all. Um, but two and two, people just trying to put stuff together. So nonetheless, here you've got a guy named Enoch. So nine different men listed here, and it says the same thing for every man except one. The same thing other than names change and how long they lived. All right, so you go through this whole list, and it says this man gave, became the father of this son uh, when he was this age, and he had many more sons and daughters, and he lived and died. And then it goes to that son now becomes a father, and he had a son, and he had a son when he was this age, and uh, he had many more sons, and then he lived and he died. And for every one of them, it says he lived and he died other than Enoch. And for Enoch, it says that he walked. And so I think there's some significance between here what it means to live and die versus what it means to walk. And so we're going to talk today about what is the significance of walking with God. What does it mean? What's it look like uh, for you and I today as we think about Mr. Enoch here? So few things we'll note if you'd like to track in our bulletin, you can. You don't have to at all. It's just there for benefit if you'd like to write some stuff down, okay? So walking with God. To walk with God means initially we have an unmistakable relationship with God. So before we go any further, we have some phrases that we use, right, that are just odd sounding. So when I say to you, how is your walk with God, do you know what I'm asking? Does that make sense to you? Or when you talk to me and you say, man, my walk with the Lord is going such and such, you say that in a way like I should understand what you're talking about. So you understand outside of Christian circles that makes no sense, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, right? That could be a thing that triggers, what are you talking about walking with God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me explain to you what it means to walk with God. So help me out. When I'm asking you what does it mean to walk with God, what are you thinking I'm asking? How's your walk? How's your relationship? Okay, good. Somebody else, when you think, how's your walk? When you think about what's my walk with God like, what are you thinking? Okay, prayer life? Yeah? Okay, good. Somebody else? How's your walk with the Lord? What am I asking? I, I'd say you're right on it. All right? it. To me, it speaks of relationship. There's a connection here. So we're talking about and how we connect. Right? It could be through prayer, through word, through other believers, things of that nature. But when somebody asks you, how is your walk? Or when you say, my walk with the Lord is good, you just got to know that sounds odd. And I think it's interesting to note as well, this is the only relationship that we speak of this way. I have a relationship with my wife, but I never say of her that our walk is good, right? I'm walking with my life, wife, unless we're actually walking around the neighborhood or something, then I'd say that. Other than that, I don't say that. I don't say I've got a good walk with my children, or I've got a good walk with my church family, all right? I've got relationships with all these people, but I never speak of it as a walk. The only time we talk as Christians of a walk with someone, it's a walk with God, all right? Where does that go? I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting side note, and so... Here in our text today, we've got this guy, Enoch, and he is 
someone who has a relationship with God, and it's displayed here by the word walk. So let's read it again. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch, what? Enoch walked, okay? Enoch didn't live and die, as others said. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So here again, this doesn't mean that Enoch and God took strolls, you know, kind of how we read about Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening would walk with God in the garden. This is not talking about taking an evening stroll with God. This is talking about a relationship. So Enoch had an awareness of God. He knew who God was, and he was living his life in, who he, in light of who he knew God to be. Okay, that's relationship with God. And so that's how I would understand his walk. Hebrews is going to go on to clarify a little further for us what it looks like to have a walk with God, right? Because not everybody walks with God. And so here the author says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, just like Genesis 5 records. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And then so it's going to explain this further. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so we see here there's a, there's a faith factor, right? And so when we talk about walking with God, it's not just I believe there's a God and so I'm living under his rule or authority. It's, there's a belief in. We just read it here. They must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who are earnestly seeking him. And so Enoch was an earnest seeker of God. And here we're just talking about there was a relationship between, between him and God. And it was, it was one of those unmistakable markers of his life. Okay? And so I want you to think about it this way just for a minute. If I started skipping around this room, and I'm not, I don't skip very well, would you say of me, oh, he's walking? Anybody? No. What if I started running in circles around this room? Would you say my pastor was walking? No. What if we went to the front doors of the church and we looked out on the bike trail and we see people riding bikes up and down the trail? Would we say of them, they're walking? Or we see a boat going across Horseshoe Lake with people in it. Would we say, oh, look at them. They're out there walking. No, that's definitely not walking. Right? Why wouldn't we say that? Because it's not walking. Okay? So all we're saying is walking is unmistakable. It's a marker. You look at it and go, oh, he's walking. You never confuse skipping and walking, running and walking, riding a bike and walking, boating and walking. You never confuse walking with God and not walking with God. Loves Jesus doesn't. It's an identifiable marker. It's one of those unmistakable traits. Nobody goes, oh, I thought you were a Christian and you're not. It, it, it calls us out. It's one of those things that identifies us as someone who's in relationship with God. So to be known as someone who has a relationship or who walks with God means we'll have this unmistakable marker of how we walk. That is, we, how we talk, how we pray, how we study, how we give, how we use our time, how we invest our life. All these things are indicators of our walk. And so Enoch had faith. He believed in God, had this relationship with God. It was an unmistakable marker that he was a follower of God. So before we progress, I just want you to think before we progress. Have you, have you ever been accused of being a Christian? Have you ever had somebody ask you before you told them? You know what I mean? Like somebody looked at your life and goes, I knew you were a Christian like as soon as I met you. Or I thought you were maybe by the way that you talked. You know, I remember when I was working at Bell Mead Plantation, my boss there, Gary, retired from military 21 and a half years from the Marines. 
And when I showed up my first day, every other word was just a cuss word. And that's just, that was just custom for me. He wasn't angry. He wasn't mad at the world. It was just like how I'm talking now. It was just normal. That's how people talked. It was the world he grew up in. And so he noticed that I didn't talk back that way. And so Gary would start to curb his tongue a little bit whenever I came around. Uh, and then obviously we got to talking about college. And so he knew where I was going to school. And so one day he asked me, you know, he says, I know you're a Christian, but what's the difference between what you believe and what I believe? And he was Catholic. Right, so before I had the chance to say to Gary, you know, with my Jesus t-shirt, I'm a Christian, Gary sees my life, he sees some identifiable markers and knows there's something different, right? And so he didn't say this of me, but in this context, it would be, well, Corey walks with God. Right? There's, there's a relationship there, there's something about him that marks him. You know, I remember here, it's been several years ago, when we first moved here, our neighbors beside us, the older couple, we had prayed for them, looking for opportunities, and still looking for opportunities. I was mowing my grass this week, and he came right up to me, and I was like, God, is this the moment? Like, let me talk to Frank about you. And uh, he just bit my ear real quick and went away. Uh, so still praying for moments to really sit down and share the gospel. But he had seen something on TV about Noah or Jonah or something, and he came to the fence with a Bible. And he asked Stephanie, he's like, that story's in the Bible, right? Or, or there, whatever the story was. And so, yeah, and so she opened the Bible for him, and he went back and he read the story, right? Why did he come to the fence with the Bible asking us to point him to the story? Because there were just some markers and indicators in our life of how we've tried to love and serve them, the conversations we've had with them uh, that said that these are people who walk with God. Not perfect, but we're not ashamed of that either, right? That's, that's what we're here. That's why we're here. And so there's got to be some unmistakable markers. So when's the last time has somebody marked you as being a follower of Jesus or marked me as being somebody who walked with God? Enoch, this is what he was known for. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that he walked with God. And I would say that's probably one of the best things to know about an individual. All right. Secondly here, to walk with God means we faithfully seek to know him and then to please them. And these, these two things go hand in hand. So we don't know a whole lot about Enoch's life, right? I mean, we don't know much of his first 65 years. But what we do know is that when his son Methuselah was born, it's like his life took on greater significance. So pre-Methuselah, not sure what it looked like. After Methuselah, we're pretty confident what it looked like. So let's go back and read it and see if you can find it here. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked how? Faithfully. There's this modifier here. Why doesn't it just say Enoch walked with God? It seems like there was a transition. There was something that changed here after Methuselah was born. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years, and then he had other sons and other daughters. And so if in your Bible, if you've got a pen, I would underline that or highlight that faithfully. That's the modifier in that sentence. There was a shift. There was something that had changed here within Enoch. Now, like we said, we don't know what the first 65 years looked like, right? All we know is that he was 65 when... Methuselah was born, but we do know what it looked like after his son was born. And, and so I can remember this. And some of you who've you've had a child or you've been present when a child is born, like that's a life-altering, life-changing moment. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, it, it's one of those moments where just everything else seems to just disappear. It's gone. Like the only thing that matters right there is that moment. And you just get lost in the moment of that birth. It's, it's incredible. And I've witnessed that four times. And you just kind of, every time, it's just, I can't believe this is literally happening. This is just incredible. But I remember when Lily was born. 
And they took Lily and I into this nursery, laid her on this scale thing, and the nurse said, talk to her, Dad. And I couldn't get a word out. I'm just staring at this thing like... I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I'm just overwhelmed with emotions. There's all kind of people looking out in the hall and they're cheering and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, and I didn't know what to do. And so I just stood there speechless and stared at this little girl. Uh, but then later that night, after they did all the testing, you know, she was born later in the night, nurse brings her in and leaves. And that just kind of blew my world up. Like, where are you going? Aren't you going to stick around? And so it's just me. Stephanie's in there trying to recover from death. And I'm holding this little child like, like I've never experienced life before. It was just a weight. But it was a good weight. But it was a real weight. And for me, life had just shifted from, okay, I've been following God, walking with God, to now, God, my life is really, I need to sure some things up here. Like my life took on a greater significance because I'm holding someone who's going to model their life after what it looks like what they see in their dad to follow God, what they see in their mom. And so I'm sitting there and I'm holding this little girl and I just start whispering in her ear and I'm praying to God, God, this is awesome and she's beautiful and this is amazing and I am so underprepared. Like I feel so ill-equipped. I'm so scared. I'm going to mess this up. And... But, but then we just started giving her to the Lord. Lord, she's yours. We've prayed for her, and so we give her back whatever you want to do with her life. We're going to do everything we possibly can to direct her to you. We'll do everything we can to help her know you with her full heart. And just repeating these things over and over again, just, just take her. I remember praying, Lord, help me. Like I just felt overwhelmed in the moment. But there was a recommitment of my life from that point forward. See, I think there's moments in your life and you don't realize that where your faith needs to increase for what it is that you're going to have to face or deal with. And so up to that point, I felt like I was walking faithfully with God. But now I've got new responsibility. I've got a new mission. And so my circle has just grown, which means my faith needs to increase. And so here I am trying to walk faithfully further for these children later with the Lord. And it's been the same experience every time. Hold the child, give thanks to God, give the child back to the Lord, and ask for the Lord's help in trying to do this whole father-mother thing. So I think there was significance to that moment. I don't know how it worked for Enoch. I doubt he was in the room when Methuselah was born, but I just imagine when he's holding that little boy, this is my son. You know, maybe Enoch walked some with God before that moment. We don't know. Maybe he followed a little bit. Maybe he knew there was a God and he tried to live in ways, you know, that weren't necessarily following the corrupt world. But in this moment, it marked him. After Methuselah was born, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. And so maybe for you, your significant moment isn't a birth, but there's all sorts of significant moments that mark us that kind of expand our influence where we feel like this needs more faith. This needs more devotion and commitment from me. Like the way I was walking, I just can't walk that way anymore. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you say, I can't go back to the person I used to be. I can't go back to what I used to not know. Does that make sense? Like I've come to a place of understanding and I just can't go back to the place where I didn't know that. You know, it's like when you realize that people freely 
think that it's okay to take a child's life inside the mother. And you learn that, like that's approved by the law. And there are, like half the people in this country approve that. There are millions of dollars that flow to support that. I mean, that just makes you sick at your stomach. Right? That's one of those moments you can't go back and just think about life as though that doesn't exist. Or if you've had something tragic happen to you, you can't go back before that. Right? I mean, that, that moment has marked you. And maybe there's a time and place even now where God's looking to mark you for greater faith for what lies ahead. Now, all sorts of things could be in that position, but here for Methuselah, or for Enoch, rather, it was his son Methuselah. Uh, and he says that he walked faithfully with God. Now, this thing, walking faithfully with God, also implies that it's possible to walk unfaithfully with God. It's possible. You ever been unfaithful to the Lord? I have. Have you? Did that cast you away as one of his children? Were you removed from his family? No, you're still part of the family. You've just got a hindrance there in your relationship. So there is such a thing as walking unfaithfully. And so this modifier here again just speaks to that. And often people think this is big. Like, you know, something that I've done that's been public and I've just exposed myself and now I've ruined my testimony or I've ruined my family or I've ruined my opportunity to serve the Lord. And so we, we think in like it's big ways. But usually those big things start with small things that no one else sees. And so let's look at this here out of Ephesians 5. Paul, many, many years later, is going to write about our walk as well. He says sometimes it's just a hint of something. So he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a what? Even a hint. Even a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity. Or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so does Paul write here and speak of big sins that we're committing? No, he says, don't let there even be a hint. Even a hint. Have you ever had a hint of something that you were trying to eat and go, oh, I can't eat that anymore? Maybe you're taking a drink of milk that was past the expiration date and you start to, you know, oh, no, I can't drink that. Or you get a bite of something, a bite of meat, and it's got a little fat or gristle in it, and you're like, oh, I can't even done with that. It's just got a hint of something. So sometimes walking with God unfaithfully is not about being exposed publicly. A lot of times it's just about that little private thing no one knows about. It's just a hint in your life. Think of it this way. Don't panic, but let's say that we filled this room with water. Okay? I know some of you aren't fond of swimming. So we'll put life jackets on you and you'll bob around, okay? Filled the room with water. We're floating around at the top. And at the top, one of us has um, like a food coloring dropper. And we take a red food coloring dropper with red dye in it and we hit it with one drop. All right? Will that turn this whole room red? No. 
Would it discolor the water at all? Not with that much volume, right? Like if somebody was looking through the window and we said, hey, what color is the water? Would they say red? No. They would think it's pure water. See, from the outside looking in, everybody thinks everything's okay, but inside we all know that there is a hint of red dye in the water because that's within us. We saw it. We know it personally. And so Paul's not writing, go around and expose what you see in everybody else. He's saying, what's your hint? And this has been my prayer all week here, studying and preparing for today. Lord, what's the hint in me? What is the hint in me? What is it that seeks to hinder my walk? What is it that I'm okay with tolerating and still thinking that I'm walking faithfully with you? See, because where there's a hint, there's not faithfulness. Where there's not faithfulness, there's not pleasure. And you and I have been created for the pleasure of God. And so when I'm satisfied with a little hint of something, God's not pleased. And it could not be said of me or you that we are walking faithfully with God. And so maybe it is sexual, something immoral there. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed, pride, selfishness. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's overcommitment to things that just don't matter. I mean, the point is we are to live in ways that please God. Enoch, his life tells us that. Hebrews said that he was commended as someone who pleased God. That can be that pleased God is translated from the same phrase, walk with God. And so those two go hand in hand. As he walked with the Lord, he was pleasing to God. There wasn't a hint of anything immoral within him. I'm saying he's perfect. I'm saying the desire of his heart, the goal of his life, was to live to be pleasing to God. And so he lived in relationship, walking with God. So if there's a hint in your life, just be honest about it or ask God to show it to you. And then once that's revealed, deal with it. What's the hint? doesn't have to be great big. It could be just like that little red dye. 